Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. Leviticus is a book of details, and if we have a guide, then all these details are full of meaning. For example, salt is a necessary ingredient in the meal offering, but honey is not allowed. How many readers of the Bible have ever applied these details of the meal offering in Leviticus to their own experience of Christ? Well, today on this Life Study of the Bible from the book of Leviticus, our topic are the ingredients of the meal offering, and we'll see the Christian life is depicted in all of these marvelous ingredients. Joining us for our program today, Dick Taylor. Dick, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks very much, Chris. It is so good to be here for the meal offering. We've been talking about this offering, Dick, uh, in the last few programs. We see it in Leviticus chapter 2. Today we really want to focus on the ingredients. Chapter 2 presents us with a recipe, so to speak, for the meal offering. Chapter 2 verse 1 says, And when anyone presents an offering of a meal offering to Jehovah, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it, and put frankincense on it. In addition, Dick, to the fine flour, the oil, and the frankincense that are mentioned here, verse 13 tells us that salt needs to be added to all of these ingredients as well. So in total, we have four things present. Maybe you could review a little bit for us these four things, what they symbolize for us. They're all positive things as they relate to the meal offering. Number one, Chris, the fine flour signifies the fine, balanced, even, impeccable humanity of Jesus. The oil, number two, signifies divinity or the spirit who is mingled and blended with the humanity of Jesus. So the fine flour signifies his humanity, whereas the oil signifies his divinity. And then the frankincense signifies his resurrection. And fourthly, the salt signifies his death. When you put these four ingredients together, you have the totality of the meal offering. So you have the fine flour, the oil, the frankincense, and the salt. His fine humanity, his divinity, his resurrection, and his precious death. Dick, of course, frankincense is a spice that's always identified with resurrection in the Bible. And uh, salt, of course, we realize is a killing element. So that's how the cross and resurrection are both seen in these two things. In addition to these four positive things necessary for the meal offering, it's really interesting, Dick, that chapter 2 also gives us two additional items related to the meal offering. And I use this word interesting because these two items, leaven and honey, were specifically to be excluded from the recipe. Listen to verse 11. No meal offering that you present to Jehovah shall be made with leaven, for you shall not burn any leaven or any honey 
as an offering by fire to Jehovah. Dick, it's not very often that a recipe tells us what not to put in. Uh, It's these two negative items, the leaven and the honey, that we particularly want to look at today. Let's join Witness Lee. You have to know the elements that constitute the meal offering. To know these is to know Christ practically in details. Have you noticed that the meal offering is composed of six elements? Number one, flour, fine flour. This signifies humanity. Number two, you have the oil. And we all know in typology, oil signifies divinity. The third element is frankincense, and that signifies Christ's resurrection. Then you have the salt. The salt signifies the death of Christ, or the cross of Christ. These are the four positive items. Then you have two negative. Number one, leaven. Number two, honey. Leaven, of course, signifies sin and all the negative things. In the four Gospels, leaven is mentioned quite a few times, always signifying sin, bad things, heresies, all negative things, even the wrong teaching. Then you have honey. Honey, human beings consider something good. I tell honey just signify the human natural life. The bad one is signified by leaven. But this is the good natural life. When you are proud, you are full of leaven. When you are very humble, you are full of honey. So, in the life that Christ lived on this earth, you couldn't see leaven, neither you can see honey. It is this kind of life that can be the meal offering for God's satisfaction, and also for your food as a serving one. This was the kind of life that Jesus lived on this earth. Dick, the leaven and the honey are related in that they both refer to something of the natural human life. But we need to understand what they represent because one is obviously negative. Leaven is always associated with something negative in the Bible. But honey is a little harder to detect here because we would normally think of honey as something positive. And as he said, this uh, identifies something in the human life, the natural life, that's uh, not easy to identify as uh, something negative. So why is honey also excluded? I like these two words. Apparently, leaven and honey are different, but actually they are the same. In Genesis 2, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil shows us that both good, signifying the honey, and evil, signifying the leaven, are from the same source. So apparently they're different. Actually, they're the same. When honey is allowed to sit for a long time, eventually it ferments, and it's just like leaven. So the point here is that uh, apparently one is really good, one is really evil. Actually, they're both from the same source. For example, a marriage may begin depending 100% on the natural love for one another. But if you, in your marriage, depend just on your natural love for one another, eventually that love will ferment. Mm. It starts out as honey, but eventually it ends up 
as leaven, and in many cases, it ends up in divorce or just two people living under one roof but at war with each other. This indicates we need another humanity. We need a humanity that does not have the honey nor the leaven. That's the humanity of Jesus. So we need Christ as our meal offering. Every day we enjoy him, then God is satisfied with our living, and we as the serving ones are really fed and are really satisfied. It's so precious to see that the Lord Jesus had this kind of living. He was the meal offering with no leaven and with no honey. He had nothing to do with this source of the knowledge of good and evil. He was in the realm of the divine life. That is, he was a man living by God. Dick, this uh, whole realm of the source is so critical to a good understanding and a real entering into the heart of the revelation, the divine revelation in Scripture. As you said, it begins early on in Genesis with the two trees in the garden, good and evil being on the same tree. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to have another section here just ahead devoted to this matter of the honey. We will see some examples from the Gospels in the living of the God-man Jesus where though he was absolutely good, there was no honey, there was no natural element there, even the good natural. This is hard, I think, for Christians to really lay a hold of, isn't it? There's a natural kind of goodness in us that doesn't satisfy God's heart's desire at all, does it? That is a difficult thing. But we have to realize from this truth in Leviticus, even our natural goodness does not satisfy God. We must be those who take the way of the cross of Christ, not living by the natural life, but living by Christ himself as the perfect meal offering. Why don't we go on to this example uh, just ahead, Dick. I think this matter will begin to come more and more into focus as we uh, go further into the program today. Here's Witness Lee again. With him, there's no honey. Matthew 12 tells us one day his mother and his brother and sister came to get him, and they couldn't uh, get close to him, then someone passed on the message saying, your mother, your relatives are all here. Then he said, who's my relative? Who's my mother? Who's my sister? No natural life. (laughs) This indicates with him there's no honey. So we have to be somewhat careful. You know, Christian life, like the Lord Jesus, we have to avoid, as much as we can, the natural life. We have to love others, but we human beings would be so easy to love others in a human way. Oh, I love this brother. Why? Because this brother is just somewhat like me. Sister, why you love her so much? Just because her disposition is about the same as yours. Right away, just after two hours, you two become buddy-buddy. This is honey, the natural love. We all have to realize that we are still so natural. We always like to have something naturally the same as we are. It's not so easy. This is honey. Dick, I remember being in this meeting back in 1988 when Witness Lee shared this matter. Uh, I can't say it was the first time I heard such a word, but it was one of the first times, and uh, I remember my reaction. I was quite startled. I think this is typical for believers. We strive to always be good, and we strive to uh, try to love one another, all these exhortations that we uh, find and hear from the Bible. 
yet there is this distinction between that which is natural and that which is of the other source, of the divine source. Help us, Dick. How do we tell the difference? Well, it's really good to go back to the uh, illustration that our brother Lee used in Matthew 12, when the Lord Jesus was there speaking. Somebody said, oh, your mother and your brothers and sisters are there. And then he said, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Who's my sisters? What he was really saying there is that there was no honey in his life, and there was no honey in his love. He really loved everybody on the same level. Then in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, make my joy full, having the same love. What does this mean? If we love people on different levels, it indicates that our love is full of honey, full of the natural source. In other words, we just love people who are dispositionally the same as we are. Others we exclude. Some we love a lot, others not that much. But if we are enjoying the divine love, and we're really constituted and open to Christ as the reality of love, then our love is really on the same level for everyone. And the purpose of this is that there could be a testimony of oneness among us. Mm -hmm. And that's the battle that the Lord's been fighting through the centuries, is where is the testimony of oneness? So the danger is, we always operate and live by our natural goodness, even our natural love, which never loves people on the same level, always according to our likes, our dislikes, our dispositional a sameness or whatever. So we need to be delivered. The love of the Lord Jesus was not at all on different levels, but he loved in a strong way toward everyone for the sake of the testimony of oneness. I like this point. The Lord's desire is a testimony of the oneness of his believers. So we live by this honey, natural love. What will happen? There's no testimony of oneness. There's just a few here, buddy, buddy, a few over there, buddy, buddy, a few over there, buddy, buddy. And basically what you have is still division. May the Lord recover us back to Christ himself as the meal offering that we might have the same love for the testimony of Jesus. Boy, Dick, I think everyone listening can identify exactly with what you talked about here. This matter of the natural love and the effect it can have in the body of Christ is devastating. It sure I is. don't believe it's too much to say that perhaps our natural love and likes and affiliations can be just as damaging as our uh, dislikes, uh, even our hatreds with other believers. Perhaps even more. Because it's more subtle. That's right. It's more hidden. We excuse ourselves because uh, we think it's a good part of our disposition that is coming out. But Right. The negative side is obvious. But wow, this apparently positive side of our natural love, we don't realize how much damage has been done all through the centuries, even to this day. Mm. May the Lord have mercy on us. We really need his covering and his mercy. Amen. Dick, let's go on to our final section. In this portion, we want to talk about the salt. Now, you mentioned it early on as you were reviewing the four positive ingredients. Of course, we've seen that on the negative side, we're not allowed to have any honey or any leaven in the meal offering. But now, this matter of the salt is very critical and what it signifies. Uh, we're going to see the salt also typified in the life that Jesus lived. So I want to give you the context uh, that we're going to hear it. It's in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 38. Here's the portion, Dick. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. He said to them, 
What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup which I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Let's join Witness Lee. He's going to discuss the Lord's cup and the Lord's baptism. Then in Mark 10, 38, and in John 12, 14, what you could see is the Lord Jesus was always sorted. Oh, the cup I drink, the baptism with which I will be baptized will be your portion. He was living a life always under the shadow of the cross. And uh, we did write a hymn on this. No death, no life. There is a sentence to live in the shadow of the cross. This was the life of Christ. Before he was crucified, he was living a crucified life all the day. How about that sing this? It's short him. If I were Christ, Lord, within me, I must drink my final breath. As we're enjoying their singing in the background, let me break in here because I would like to speak the words of this hymn so that you can appreciate how much it ties into what we're enjoying in the message today. The verse says, If I'd have Christ formed within me, I must breathe my final breath, live within the cross's shadow, put my soul life heir to death. Then this chorus, it's marvelous. If no death, no life. If no death, no life. Life from death alone arises. If no death, no life. This is the thought, the thought. We have to receive such a thought put into our daily life. Then we could be the fine flower for the making of a meal offering. Christ lived such a life. Then he says in John 12, in that chapter, what happened? He was entering into Jerusalem. He was welcomed by the crowd. You know that. That was his golden time on this earth. But at that juncture, when people came to him, he said, I am just a grain of wheat. I don't need to be welcomed, to be glorified, to be exalted by people. I must die. I had to fall into the earth and die there. I tell you, when people would welcome you, would exalt you, would give you the glory, I tell you, it is so easy at that time to have honey, not to put salt in. When you are welcome, exalted, you better put some salt. You better become cold. You better become a person who wants to die, not to be highly exalted. Christ lived such a life. Dick, you have to be impressed with the example he gave from John 12. 
about the Lord Jesus at the height of his popularity, really you could say the height of his ministry, right. on his way into Jerusalem. Yet he gave the illustration of a grain of wheat needing to fall into the ground to die. The spiritual reality that is captured in the words of this hymn, if no death, no life, Amen. Uh, is really something. There's no escape for us either, is there, Dick, if we really mean business with the Lord? No, there is no escape. We need to learn of the Lord to be salted. I kind of like this contrast. Rather than being welcomed and exalted, we need to become cold and salted. (laughs) (laughs) If we go this way, we will be safe. Otherwise, what rises up is just this matter of honey. Honey. Uh, The welcome and the exaltation in the natural realm just brings us into the realm of honey. And if there's no death to that natural life, then there is no life. There's no resurrection. If no death, no life. So we really need to learn, as the Lord did, to live under the shadow of the cross. I appreciate two passages very much, Chris. Uh, Number one is John 7. There are at least four things in there that indelibly impress us how the Lord lived under the shadow of the cross. That means he lived in resurrection. Before he went to the cross, Mm -hmm. he lived in the shadow of the cross, meaning he just lived in resurrection. Because the cross led to resurrection. John 7, it says, he didn't teach his own teaching. Wow. So he wasn't there in a way of doing something for himself. Uh, He didn't speak his own words. He only spoke what he heard the Father speaking. And he didn't seek his own will, but he sought and carried out the will of the one who sent him. And he did not seek his own glory, but rather the glory of the Father. So this is so good. Just these four items show us that he lived always under the shadow of the cross. He lived in resurrection. He lived as the real meal offering with no honey. Then in Galatians 2.20, it brings it to us says, I am crucified with Christ. What's that? That's the salt. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. What's that? That's the resurrection of Christ. Right. So the Lord lived such a God-man living. May we be those who learn to live under the shadow of the cross, learning from Christ to live a salted life so that we would really be the Lord's testimony. It's so good, Chris, that Christ is our meal offering And our job today is enjoy him as the serving ones. God is satisfied, and we are certainly supplied, and there's a testimony of oneness among us. Mm. Hallelujah for the meal offering. Amen, Dick. And let me invite you to contact us, our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. You can find out about all the materials that we produce here at Living Stream, the publications, and many items that go along with this Life Study of Leviticus particularly. Again, our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email is radio at lsm.org. For Dick Taylor today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. 
After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America, and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening. Was Jesus simply a great religious leader? The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. Based on the scriptures, the religious people were looking for a great leader, but Jesus was introduced to them as a little lamb with a little dove. The lamb is for redemption, to redeem fallen man back to God. And the dove is for life-giving, for anointing, to anoint man with what God is, to bring God into man and man into God. Both the lamb and the dove are needed for man to participate in God. Scripture, John 1.29, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.